Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. Today, my interview is with Dr. Kohri Chaudhry, the author of Sound Medicine. We're going to be talking about sound medicine, the new frontier. This is an area I am super passionate about, and we're doing more and more sound medicine at Eminence Health. We have a few modalities that we integrate in all patient treatments. And the more I learn about sound medicine, the more I learn that our bodies not only are wired to receive sound, but that we all have our unique sound that we produce from ourselves. So please enjoy this conversation with one of the experts in sound medicine, Dr. Chaudhry. So welcome. I'm so honored to have you. Thank you so much. So sound medicine is, I I agree with you, it's a new frontier and it's an ancient medicine as well. So even though we're applying it um, in this new paradigm and this new way, it has such ancient roots that you are very well connected with. And before we kind of get started on your journey, you know, I know that sound has so much impact in many people's lives, whether they're a parent and it's your young child. I have a two-year-old, so I'm very familiar with sound and, you know, hearing her sound. (laughs) cuddling her and I've made up a song for her and I can't even sing, you know, so it's just this kind of primal thing that comes out of us and it really um, touches us on an emotional way. So can you explain to us how you feel that sound affects us in this profound emotional way? Well, we're, we're built for sound. And I think sometimes when we start to talk about the medical application of something like sound, we forget that we are an instrument for sound. It's a little bit like talking about sight or taste, you know, we have been genetically engineered to experience sound. And so the real question when we start talking about sound medicine is how do we take this built-in system and use it with purpose, you know, rather than just passively engaging and passively reacting to the sound pollution that we're around or unconsciously using our speech. You know, we don't think about our speech as a source of sound input for other people. But instead of doing this unconsciously, how do we start to do it actually consciously? Because we don't have to debate whether we respond to sound. That would be like debating, do we have five, you know, fingers on one hand and five fingers on another hand? Or, you know, how many limbs does a person have? This is stuff that we just, you know, as a neurologist, we learned how sound is translated into signals. And there's already so much studies looking at the emotional impact of sound that when we listen to any kind of sound, there is a translation of that sound into content, into content for the brain. The brain makes meaning of it. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we know that there's certain sounds that allows for positive meaning and there's other sound that creates negative meaning. So we're hardwired to have an emotional response to sound. But again, it's not one of those things that you need a scientist to tell you. This is an area where you become your own scientist. Walk into a room when your two-year-old is screaming and see the flood of emotions that you have, you know, instantaneously. What is going on? You know, I don't think as a as a mother, I don't think I have ever been like as triggered to act like a wild animal as I have when I heard that my child was in trouble. I mean, something changes so quickly. And then see how you feel when you walk into a room and your partner greets you with love, affection, and compassion, and just see the flood 
of biochemistry that happens when you when you receive that input. So, you know, yes, we have a lot of science that's showing this, but this is an area that as human beings, we have access to on a daily basis. And it's just becoming conscious that this is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm and I'm agree, and I think it's such an underutilized tool. And now you've shared we're wired to respond to sound. And isn't it interesting too with some of our patients who are maybe not neurologically impaired, how they're very what we would call sound sensitive, right? They're just absolutely hyper aware and hyper triggered sometimes by the wrong types of sound. But on the flip side, right, this can be also a methodology and a treatment method to also impart healing on them. And so so, you know, as we go through this conversation, I'm sure people are interested. You're a neurologist and you wrote a beautiful book, um, Sound is Medicine. And really what prompted you to study science of sound healing, as I'm sure it probably wasn't taught to you in school. There were a few things that kind of led up to it. One, I had a, a mantra meditation practice since I was nine years old. And people oftentimes don't realize that mantra meditation is a form of sound healing. Um, and I did transcendental meditation, which is based on bija mantras. So bija mantras are seed sounds, meaning they have no translation. They're sounds, they're primordial sounds in nature. So um, think about like the sound that the ocean makes, right? And so imagine that nature has certain sounds that can be repeated by human beings that copy that resonant frequency. And so that was always a part of my experience. And I knew that when I did that, I was tapping into some unseen potential that altered the way that I was experiencing the world, altered my biochemistry. You know, when I was younger, I didn't get like into drugs or alcohol or anything like that because I had something that was helping me manage the daily stress. And it also opened up a tremendous amount of creativity. I mean, my background, you know, similar to self, I'm a physician, um, but I was always piecing together other parts of the pie through my education. So I did biology and English, like that use of both right and left brain, which we talk a lot about for both creativity as well as emotional health. So having that sound practice, there's always been like a foundation for that. And that was something that, you know, translated into our practice. We always had ancient healing sounds playing in the office when people came in. And I oftentimes would recommend for people to start meditation as part of their healing. But it wasn't until I took this project on in India where we were doing a medical excavation, essentially, of these very, very ancient um, records, ancient Siddha records, and um, they go back at least 8,000 years written. And it was when we started looking at the way that they were using sound, that was when my relationship with sound really exploded. Um, Because that's where I got really geeked out on the science of it. Because here was this ancient civilization, this ancient group of what I call quantum biologists, this ancient group of scientists, and yet they were describing subatomic structures. They were describing very, very intimate details of the human nervous system, some of which we're only now starting to discover. And when they talked about sound, on the surface, it sounded very poetic. But as I went deeper into the quantum reality of sound and really of all of nature, when I looked at those writings again, I said, wait a minute, this isn't poetic. They're actually describing the biology of sound. And so as I started to dive into those records, and as I started to piece together some of the things I had learned from quantum physics, that was really the moment where I was just like, wow, this is actually a 
grossly underutilized tool that has huge human potential and we are just not tuning into it. And, you know, there are other industries that I've tuned into it. Like when you walk into a store, you walk into a restaurant or when you're, you know, looking at a commercial, all of these industries that are trying to get us to buy something, they know that if they play music in a certain way, it will enhance, you know, how much we eat, how much we shop and so forth. But we're not using it as part of a healing tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what a gift to be able to dive into these ancient texts and this ancient knowledge. And I think we, as humans, always think we're, you know, here we are recording this in 2020, that we're this advanced society, <laughs> that we, you know, are, you know, still exploring things that people had no idea about and that we're, you know, still uncovering. So, yeah, it's so great that you can be that this bridge. And you mentioned this idea of quantum biology. You've mentioned, you know, that we're primed and wired to receive sound. And I know you write in your book, Sound Medicine, about how sound can interact with the biofield and these concepts of coherence and so forth. Can you, from your experience and, you know, when you see, let's say a patient, you know, with MS and you're giving them sound medicine tools, like how do you make sense of what is happening? Yeah, it's a really great question. You know, doing the book gave me more of a vocabulary. I had an internal sense from the ancient perspective of why this was working. Because from that perspective, they describe the human being, and I don't want to say just the human body because we're so much more than the body, Mm -hmm. but they describe the human being as being made of five sheets that is covering this inner consciousness. When I was using sound, I understood that sound, the seat of sound came from the innermost sheath. And that innermost sheath was the sheath in which We held knowledge of space, time, all the fundamental principles of nature. And so sound was seeded there and was the closest kind of sense, you can say the human sense, to that inner core of consciousness. And so it was able to pull aspects of that inner core of consciousness through things like mantra, through things like that had the resonant frequency of nature. It was able to pull that inner consciousness qualities out into the mind, out into the body. So I understood it from the ancient perspective. It made a lot of sense when you already acknowledged that the human being was a series of fields and it became denser and denser as it got closer to the human body. But then to translate it into more of a Western medical world, that took kind of the emergence in my understanding of this new model, the human biofield, which is very, very similar, you know, to what the ancient models were, that we are emanating fields of energy. And if we are emanating, and if we are fields of energy, then things that have a vibrational nature that are energy in nature should be able to interact with our fields of energy. You know, waveforms should be able to interact with waveforms. And if we are at our core waveforms, then technologies like sound and light, which are also waveforms, when they are directed with the, with the correct science, they should be able to make a biological shift. And so that helped me to understand it more from a Western standpoint. Then we also have things like the, the entire concept of resonance and the understanding of what it means to be 
in resonance with a specific sound or a specific waveform. And as a science started to come out that each cell in our bodies, each organ actually has a resonant sound. You know, we are actually an internal symphony of sound. Then that concept started to make more sense to me also of why certain, if we make a certain sound, and if that sound has a certain frequency when an organ is in balance, and that frequency would be altered if it was out of balance, then it makes sense that if we apply that frequency, understanding, you know, the musical principles around resonance, that you could alter that frequency at a very foundational level. And then the other concept as a neurologist, which was really helpful, is, was brain entrainment. You know, and I'm sorry if I'm throwing out just kind of all these, these terms, but these were the terms that really helped me. But the idea of brain entrainment that your brain will respond to external stimuli and start to change the way that it's firing. And so a lot of this research on brain entrainment is done with external sound production. But what happens is that when your brain is exposed to certain stimuli, it will start firing differently, okay? It will actually start responding to like the rhythm of sound. And that again, made a lot of sense to me as a neurologist, why I was seeing the effects I was seeing that if you're using a positive, I'm just going to put kind of positive sound in quotes, I guess a natural sound, and you're repeating that either silently internally, or you're listening to that externally, if that is causing a shift in the way that your brain is firing, that would cause a shift in the way that your brain is thinking over time, you would start to have resonance with this new frequency. And that explained just clinically what I was seeing that my patients that did begin to meditate, for example, my MS patients, they had fewer MS exacerbations because one of the triggers for MS exacerbation is stress. They were coping with life more. They were reporting that they were happier. So these were some of the key concepts that helped me to take what I understood from an Eastern model to be true, to translate that into a Western model of what was being proven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful explanation. And as you mentioned in neurology, right, you know, we also have this talk about the biofield. And you know, we often talk about the heart and the brain, how Western medicine has language and a understanding. And for some reason, they, we haven't quite, you know, you're helping to shift that paradigm to use that information as also a healing modality, as you just shared. And so I'm super curious about this idea of resonant frequencies and healing. And it's just amazing as we unpack and learn the body, it's like that all of our systems and every cell makes a sound, right? You know, that's yeah. just a beautiful um, visualization and truth. And so I'm just curious whether it's your current areas of research, or even what the ancient text shared with you, is there anyone who's really mapped out and understands like what resonant frequencies apply to what organ systems? Yeah, so a great question. So there are groups that are doing this here, and I believe they're in UCLA, and they're actually looking at patenting a technology where they're recording using their devices, the resonant frequency of different organs. And their thought, is if we record the resonant frequency of like a healthy liver and then somebody has problems with their liver, can you play back this resonant frequency to the patient and would the liver respond, you know, to, to that sound? So that's one of the ways in which it's, it's being done, which is, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful modern technology and we'll have to see 
whether doing it that way is going to work or not, but there's already some positive, you know, there's some, there's some positive scientific basis for why that may work. But from the aging perspective, and this is, this is always, like I said, it's always baffled me just how much they knew. So they understood that everything had a resonant frequency. And there's actually bija mantras and other mantras that are designated for almost every part of the body. I mean, mm-hmm. down to the left finger versus the right finger, you know, the left knee versus the right knee. And that has been mapped out. And that is something that people who are sound healers, not a yogis, um, that's one of the training that my husband received in India as he became a not a yogi. And so he's able to take sound frequencies that correlate to different parts of the body or sometimes specific mantras that correlate to whatever energy is trapped. You could look at it as wherever there was a blockage, you can apply specific mantras to opening that. But these are extremely, extremely you know, detailed mapped out. And it just depends on how far do you want to go into the, the detail of it. But that is how the human being was understood was not just in terms of its internal anatomy, but in terms of its sound anatomy. Oh my gosh. Pretty cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Eileen McCusick who's on, um, you know, the summit and her work is around biofield tuning. And she has a language around how tuning forks and the different frequencies of different tuning forks can basically clear up um, blockages and what we call the biofield. And then that can instruct and inform the body to um, have, you know, better communication and, you know, all the biochemistry that lends itself. And so what I've learned with my research and, you know, just my experiences, we think, okay, we're energetic beings and we're giving off these fields, but these fields are also informing our, our bodies and how, you know, can really be this tool to correct not only energetic imbalances, but also, you know, really true physical balances, because it's like the chicken or the egg, right? What, right? what comes first, you know? So do you have a, I mean, do you have a perspective or a thought? Do you re- resonate with and um, agree with kind of the, the field also informs the body? Yeah. I no, don't. I think that actually, from my perspective, and from the Siddha perspective, that comes first, Because when you look at the structure of nature, of human beings in particular, that field is more fundamental than anything else. And so now let me say this, though, more clearly, when you are able to connect with that field, it has the biggest effect. So let me just clarify that point, because the whole point of sound therapy, ultimately from an Eastern or an ancient perspective, is learning how to connect to that field. Mm-hmm. Because if you're functioning without a connection on that field, you're basically always trying to swim without drowning, mm-hmm. right? Because then it's really the body is mainly having the impact on all of your experiences. The whole point of techniques like mantra meditation, you know, some of the techniques like singing bowls and so forth is to bring that resonant frequency, use that resonant frequency as a bridge to connecting to that inner field, that inner consciousness. And when we say that inner field of the inner consciousness, that is the same inner field, inner consciousness in all of nature. It is a infinite field of energy. That field is what explains what we refer to in India as the cities. Cities are considered supernatural powers that some of these um, masters were able to perform. And 
you know, I know it sounds really dramatic when we're talking about it in America, but it's so common in India. I mean, there's so many traditions, you know, where masters were able to perform that, that it's um, kind of taken for granted a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the concept is, is that when you're able to tap in to that inner field, that is where all the laws of nature originate from. And that's why they're able to do things that seem miraculous. But from pr- their perspective, they're really just tapping into the source from where all of those emerge anyways. So when you say what comes first, it really depends on what is your state of consciousness? What are you more attuned to? Are you more attuned to kind of this side where you see the body and the mind and that is predominant? Or are you more attuned to this side where there's the knowledge sheath and the bliss sheath? And they call it the bliss sheath because when you touch it, you actually experience bliss. And those are the sheaths that are the closest to that seat of of consciousness. So it just depends on kind of where your level of where your level of consciousness is is seated and where is the magnetic pull and i wanted to just make this one clarification because many people think that aphorisms are mantras and there's a huge um, difference between the two so aphorisms or affirmations affirmations are used to help to create something in the mind in the mental sheath and so it's it's can be absolutely a value to somebody who's trying to create something that their mind and their body will experience, like the creation of whatever, you know, whether it's wealth, better relationships, there's definitely a power to that for in training the mind towards something. Mantras, the purpose of mantras are to ultimately transcend the mind. Now that doesn't mean that it doesn't give benefit to the body and to the mind, but it doesn't sit in the mental sheath to just sit there and create and create and create and get stuck basically in the creative process. The purpose of mantras is to actually transcend the mind and to touch on these deeper sheaths where you receive wisdom, where you receive peace and bliss, and you are able to ultimately connect to that inner core. So it's a very, very different, you know, those have very, very different um, purposes. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm so glad you um, you shared that because that's something that I think I still struggle to try to understand because it's like, okay, we, we know the mind is powerful, right? We know the mm-hmm. mind can absolutely help us harness and create and repetitive affirmations can show up positively in people's lives. I, but I always am sitting with like, how do you know what to create? <laughs> you know, like, how right. do you know you're not creating the wrong thing or what what's for your highest good? So what I'm right. interpreting. What you're saying, and maybe I'm I'm mishearing you, but um, what I'm hearing is that by connecting with these mantras, you're opening yourself up to this larger field yes. of energy, whatever we want to call it for whoever's listening. Right. And having access to that actually is going to be the most powerful yes. way to bring through creation. In and life. that is where your desires, you know, the way that they describe it is it's when your desires become in line with nature, mm-hmm. meaning everything that is necessary for you to fulfill in, in the, in India, we call it Dharma, which is your highest good. Mm-hmm. Everything that it takes for you to fulfill your Dharma will naturally be your desire. Mm-hmm. And that also means that if wealth is necessary for you to fulfill what is of your highest good, that will also come but you're not just seeking things for the sake of seeking things. You're seeking things because it's in alignment 
with why you chose your life's purpose. It's understanding what your life's purpose is and not being overly influenced by a particular society's, mm-hmm. um, you know, value system. Because when we look at in the West, it's very hard because we have so much stuff. It's really apparent when being back and forth between India and in the U.S., like India, I have exactly seven pairs of clothes because there's seven days in the week. I have two pairs of shoes, one for when it's sunny and one for when it rains. I mean, life is very, 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 very simple. And what happens with that simplicity is your thoughts about material needs really start to dissipate and new thoughts start to come in about, well, what are global needs or what are even societal needs or what am I offering you know, every time I'm interacting with another human being, new thoughts start to come. Mm-hmm. And so this is the big difference with, you know, affirmations. You have selected what you want your outcome to be, which is fine, but it does send you into the cycle of, then you get that thing. Now what? Mm-hmm. Then there's the next desire. Okay. Then you get that thing. Now what? Mm-hmm. Whereas the concept of mantras is, as I'm sure, you know, I've met many, many people who are extremely wealthy. They're not at peace. And they don't have joy in their life. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the mantras is for peace and joy. And then whether something is coming or not, you know, whether it's wealth, whether it's this, whether it's that, it's not that you're indifferent, but it's just, you go, okay, this is nice, but I'm already at peace. Everything Mm -hmm. else is just an additive. And that's the purpose of mantra as a form of sound healing to absolutely help support the body. Because remember, we said mantras are coming from that inner core of consciousness. It's connecting us to that. Mm -hmm. And so as you connect to that, automatically the body's going to purify. And now this is really important to understand because as the body purifies, there can be intense times of discomfort, you know, not typically with the types of mantra practices that like we give out, you know, but some of the stronger mantra practices that you can receive like from a tradition. Um, but, you know, there's a purification of the body. Well, that can be difficult. You're, you're removing toxins. And then the purification of the mind, you know, that can be very intense because as you're removing toxic thoughts, it's like leaving a toxic relationship. It can be uncomfortable even to leave a toxic relationship, even though it's the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. so as you're going through that process of purification, there may not always be times of going, oh, I always feel great. Yes, I'm doing a mantra meditation. I always, no, there's a transition. You know, there, you're changing. But mm-hmm. even in the transition, you're, you're gaining greater and greater wisdom and greater and greater peace throughout the process. Mm-hmm. So there's still this underlying it. But the goal is more and more of that peace, more and more of that wisdom in your, you know, in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's um, really beautiful. And uh, Nikki Gratrix, who's also on um, the summit, and she's um, started her work has been trauma work, and then it's really kind of exploded into sound healing. And she says clinically that she sees as people connect more with these resonant frequencies and the sound healing that she sees what we would call like clinically a detox reaction or, yes. a, you yeah. know, kind of this movement. And a lot of patients who have the conditions that we, we've both seen is we would call them they're blocked right they're they're stuck they're stagnation in their system we know that they need to get whatever the root canal out of their mouth the mercury out of their brain the line what you know whatever it is right but sometimes doing that alone doesn't get the results and that's when a lot of people become more open to looking yes. at the realm right and so 
you know, I've been recommending, you know, I'm still a novice in sound medicine, but I've been starting to recommend different technologies and tools. And, you know, what I like about it is that, you know, it gets people when people think that they might have like trauma in their life, or they might have these adverse experiences, they might have explored talk therapy or some cognitive behavior. And while that serves a purpose, they still kind of are in that pattern. And what my research and a few experiences have shown me is that, this can be such a profound tool. Like you don't have to have the words, you don't have to have the knowledge or how to transform the trauma. It's like, it will unfold and it will be released by connecting to this energy. So, I mean, that's, I'm sure you're, you're seeing that as well. Yeah. And the the approach that we take when we're seeing patients, I'm saying we, cause it's my husband and I, he's the He's the sound therapy part and oh. kind of, he's, he's more of the yogi mystical part of our treatments. <laughs> but what we typically do is, you know, we do the physical detoxification first. Mm-hmm. That always has to take place first, because if you don't do that, things will accumulate in the physical and you can't go much deeper. Mm-hmm. And as we're penetrating kind of through each one of these sheets, we're always giving physical support. Mm -hmm. And what happens is as you start to pierce the mental sheath, the trauma automatically comes up many times. It's not remembered. And Mm -hmm. I have not met anybody who doesn't have trauma. I mean, it just, it doesn't (laughs) exist in our society. It doesn't exist. And that's okay. That's just where we are in history right now. Mm -hmm. But the trauma then starts to automate, the mental trauma starts to automatically come up. So what happens? The body starts responding to that mental trauma coming up. So again, we have to support the body. But that's also where, in addition to doing, you know, the physical things and doing the sound healing, we'll also recommend like maybe doing something like EMDR, Mm -hmm. you know, to help release some of the trauma. Mm -hmm. So we'll use like a lot of different modalities to help navigate these waters because they are very murky waters. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult to do alone. But Mm -hmm. what I've noticed is like for our patients who, who are doing this combined approach, you know, supporting the physical with diet, herbs and lifestyle habits, then doing the sound healing as an internal practice in their own meditation, and then also um, having it be done to them, that when they do go for like EMDR, some of these other therapies that are really great at breaking the neurological cycles of trauma, mm-hmm. the therapists are always just saying like, I cannot believe how fast they're going. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, a big mental shift will be associated with a big physical shift. Mm-hmm. Like it'll be, and sometimes it comes out as a healing crisis. Like, oh my gosh, I had diarrhea 15 times when I finally, you know, released that thought about my mom. Like, you know, it's, it's oftentimes there's such synergy mm-hmm. between the body and between the mind at that point that they're both, they're, they're both healing at the same time and at the same speed. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, hopefully going to be, you know, the future of healing where we are taking the best of what we know today. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some of the things that happened in EMDR are really similar to like some of the, uh, you know, journeys that people took psychologically in past traditions, some -hmm. of the inner journeys. I think we've replicated aspects of that. And so why not use what we have learned, you know, in today's world as being scientifically validated ways to heal the body and the mind, and then combine it with these ancient practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I couldn't agree more. And I see, you know, and that's where it's like, it's a layered experience, right? Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, I, we 
completely and so desperately need a different model for especially chronic illness care, right, and recovery. And so, you know, I, I think we still are shifting people's mindsets. Many people are listening um, are really open-minded to these concepts, but, you know, it's not just one thing, one pill, and then yes. you're fixed. You know, we, we just have to let go of that. It, we're these complex, intricate beings that have these amazing multifaceted um, ways to heal and everyone's going to have a unique journey, but it's like these staples, I think, um, are coming to life. You know, I agree, the physical foundation and, you know, sound, I think is just, yeah, the, again, the new frontier. One of, one of the things, um, I was just thinking when you said you give people mantras and then you also do sound healing work on them, what does that look like? And what kind of modalities Mm -hmm. do you guys use? So because so much of our research and so much of our connection is um, to the the tradition, so we use a lot of the ancient mantras. And there's many different ways to do it. Like you mentioned, Eileen does with the tuning forks. There's the singing bowls. I will say that it depends on how connected the practitioner is to their modality because you're pulling a lot of your own energy. And so we do a form that's in line with, it's called Nada Yoga. So Nada means sound and yoga means union. And so a Nada Yogi is somebody who can create union with a particular resonant frequency, meaning that they have been able to get to a point where they are able to resonate with that frequency that they're using and then they give it audibly to the uh, patient. And most people are pretty shocked at their experience. And we do this either in person or, you know, via Zoom. My husband's the one who does this. And most people think like, okay, yeah, I'm going to listen. Come on, what is it really going to do? And then they're either just shocked that they're completely asleep during the treatment. Like, you know, they're like, what happened? Um, Sometimes my husband has to just close the Zoom link because the person is just completely passed out on the other side of the computer. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they're really surprised at the physical reactions, Mm -hmm. you know, that somebody will have a sudden opening and they're just surprised that like they broke out in hives or their bowels changed. We had one patient who had um, chronic parasitic infection and we had done all the physical things for it. But as you probably know, for those conditions, you're not trying to wipe out the microbiome. So you're not just trying to put everything in and knock everything out. So we got her up to a certain point but it wasn't until we included, there's a particular mantra for getting rid of parasites. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it wasn't until she did that mantra and then all her tests started coming back negative. And she was just like, I can't believe this. Like, how, how did this happen? And again, we always prep the body first. You know, sure. we always prep the body and then get them to where they're going to be really receptive. But, you know, it's just because that was the resonant frequency that destroyed pathogens. And here's the great thing. She noticed a shift in her relationships that were also parasitic Mm -hmm. because that resonant frequency is not just for the parasites inside of your body, but for that parasitic energy that's in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. So those would be done that, you know, those he either does in person or via Zoom. And I'm always amazed. I'm kind of mesmerized by, you know, his ability to identify which sound. Sometimes it's just based on the location, but oftentimes, you know, the way that my husband describes it, it's in the moment that he is seeing the patient, the mantra is coming right in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so the Nada Yogi is really just somebody who's becomes like a pure conduit. And I'm sure, you know, Eileen and other practitioners would describe the same feeling of once they know whatever the resonant frequency is, 
they can just feel the that there's an energy transference, there's an energy coming in, and it's going out using whatever instrument you know they're using. In his case, in his case, his instrument is his um, voice, mm. but whatever instrument they're using, the energy is is permeating that tool. Oh, wow, it's like how beautiful, right? And I'll tell you, I mean, it's very, very strong healing because he does um, for myself. And, and of course, my 12 year old son fights us on it, like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, you have, you have, what you have access to. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I said, your dad has people contacting him from around the world, but I cannot get my 12 year old to sit still. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very, very strong. It's very, very strong. And I'm just amazed. Like every time I get to a certain point, I go, oh, okay you know, I think I'm like ready to run a marathon. Like I'm feeling great. And then like we uncover something even deeper. And, you know, some of the things that we don't realize is that there's ancestral memories that we also carry. And there are also global memories. Like for example, all women are energetically connected. And so as you start to process your own stuff, then you start going into these deeper stages of like, okay, now I'm starting to process the things that have been held within my maternal lineage or paternal lineage. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the things that I've held as an experience of a woman. So it's like your, the way that I kind of see is your biofield starts to become larger. And so mm-hmm. you start to clear things out beyond just your individual experience, you know, and I don't know where this ends. I mean, that is kind of what, people would describe as the enlightened experience, enlightenment experience. I haven't had that, but I can see how my field is starting to extend out and I can see how I'm starting to process beyond just myself. And I can see the difference in that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And I've um, worked with patients um, over the years and they've explored ancestral healing in different modalities, but I, I agree. And as I, uh, on the body electric, the first one, um, I had Dr. James Oshman who came up with the term, the living matrix and you mm, know, our fascias basically interconnected to yes. our DNA. Right. And then I'm like, well, it doesn't stop there, right? It's the bio, you know, the yes. living matrix is then the biofield. And as you're saying, there's all, of, it could go on to, I guess. Well, forever. technically infinity. I mean, that is what the tr- the traditional Eastern teaching is, is that the energy matrix is infinite and mm-hmm. it does hold everything. And for those who finally connect to that inner core and from the ancient teachings, the connecting of the inner core is releasing all of these programs on every single level, on an ancestral level, even on the level of woman or man, even then on the level as like US or Indian, like when you start to release all of the programs where you become program less, that is when you can interact directly with that field. And then that field can say, okay, okay, Kulri, we have finally turned you into a blank slate. Mm. This is what we would like out of you now Mm. as your way of contributing to humanity. Here is the program, but now you're consciously interacting Mm. with the creation of that program. And then at that stage, everything that's required for that program to come true comes with the program. Like, does that make sense that you're now directly interacting with the intelligence of the universe Mm. to create a life that has the highest meaning for you and the highest meaning for humanity. You know, you become the perfect fit for for yourself and humanity. And that's where life just becomes joyful. And that's where the 
affirmation over and over and over for that Lamborghini becomes meaningless. You know, that if, (laughs) if a Lamborghini is important for you to now fulfill this life fulfilling experience, it'll be there, but it's no longer the focus of the purpose of your life. Like wouldn't the world be very different now if people embraced this, you know, these concepts and this form of healing. And I, I, I do believe, I mean, I, as we're recording this in 2020, you know, this has been a challenging year for so many. And, but on the other end of it, there's this huge opportunity, right. To connect with the principles you've just shared and the concepts and this ancient wisdom to find more peace and joy in a world that so desperately needs um, needs that, right? you know? So I, I think it's such an ancient but modern message that is like hopefully resonating with so many people right now so they can, um, you know, find their way to these um, forms of healing. Obviously, you will all have this amazing, you know, practice and this work that you do. In your research and kind of your experience, are there any other tools or modalities or things people can do at home that they could um, Mm, absolutely that could start connecting them with. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't mean to give the impression at all that people can't do this. We are just people that help to guide, Mm -hmm. you know, patients through a particular journey, but it does not have to require like, you know, people's healing. It's not dependent on Mm -hmm. myself or my husband or or on any of the people that you're interviewing, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, not at all. Even what we're helping to do is still just connect with something that's inside of people themselves. Mm. And so I think there's many different ways. And since, you know, we're talking about sound in particular, there's many different ways to connect with sound. I would say the simplest thing that people can do first is look at the sound that they're making. So first, just look at the sound that you make to other people. You know, what is it creating? Because whatever it's creating, you're creating that in your own biofield. Anything that you're creating for somebody else, you're creating in your own biofield. So if your sounds create a lot of anger or a lot of anxiety, you're creating a lot of anger and anxiety in your own biofield. So first, just look at that. How are you using your sound? What are the reactions that people have to the sounds that you make from your own body? I mean, really simple stuff, right? Just to become more mindful of that. But then also look at what are the external sounds that you're receiving? And of those, what do you have control over? So some of the things that you can do is, you know, you can play sounds in your environment, um, either sounds of nature, or there's many different um, CDs that have mantras that can be played. My husband and I created one CD also for a specific mantra that we teach just to help with the pronunciation. But you can actually play sounds in your environment that are helping to negate some of the negative impacts of the other sound waves that you don't have control in. Then what is the sound that you're creating inside of your own mind? You know, is that sound predominantly negative? And if you're like 99.99% of all human beings, it's predominantly negative. It's predominantly filled with worry. It's predominantly filled with fear. It's filled with anger. It's filled with a sense of being out of control. That's how the majority of human beings live. And so how do you start to change that internal sound? So that's where I would say start a mantra practice. And I give many in the book, there's one in particular, the chakra mantra that is, I think, one of the most powerful, and I'm happy to share it here. But this is a mantra practice that helps to clear all of the major chakra centers um, in the body. 
And I can also email you um, information that you can give to your audience so that they have a visual of it. But the mantra is Hari Om Nam Lam Mam Vam Sim Ram Vam Yam Yam Ham Shiva Om Swaha. As we, you know, hear you go through that, I mean, my, you know, you just drop into this deep relaxation. So I think, yeah. uh, you know, it's just such a beautiful practice on all of these levels that we've covered. And I could pick your brain all day and I want to honor honor your time. <laughs> I guess as we wrap up, is there anything on your heart or mind that you want to share? Of course, I want to we'll link to your book and your website and all of those beautiful things that you've created. Um, but is there anything else in closing? I think one thing I really learned in India it's a country that has so little in comparison to what we have. And so it reframed kind of my idea of what is enough, you know, because <laughs> everything there, like so much less is enough. And I just, one thing I saw in so many of the people there who had so little is they were still hopeful and they were still joyful. And I would just want to remind people that your hope and your joy in life has nothing to do with the things that you have. And, you know, interesting because I've worked with all different types of people and I've worked with some of the wealthiest people, you know, in the world. And wealth does not translate into hope and joy and love. Neither does poverty. And I'm not trying to promote poverty at all. I'm not a pro-poverty person, but I just want to, you know, as people are struggling through the impact that this pandemic has had and this pandemic has taken a lot of things away from us, a lot of things materially, you know, for many people. But that hope is something that is contained within ourselves. And sound healing, the practice of a mantra is a tool to help to connect with that. There's nothing you own that will help you to connect to that. Thank you. So, so beautiful and so wise. And I learned so much from you, uh, not only prior to this conversation, but during, and I'm excited to learn more about your work and share it with our audience. So thank you so much, Dr. Shagri. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Shadri. If you want to learn more about her and her work, please check out her website as well as her book, Sound Medicine. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, I'd be so grateful for leaving a review on iTunes so others can find this information so that they can live a beautiful, healthy life. Thank you.